0: Good morning, church. Our Bible reading is from Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. It reads as follows. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision part. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kefas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by faith and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is then Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For
1: I'm going to pray now as we come to God's word. will not you join me in that? Heavenly Father, your, your grace is something we know by name, uh, something we, we may even have a, a grasp on theologically, but it's something that is so rarely found in our hearts, uh, something that we don't readily embrace in the depths of who we are. Father, we, we resist your grace. We don't understand your grace fully. Why, How and why would you treat us like this? And Father, yet your grace is right at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So please will you meet with us this morning. And through your Son in the power of your Spirit, show us your grace. More than that, stitch it into the fabric of our being. So that we might leave here people who have been transformed by your grace and who live out of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our society, there are two types of people. The first one we might call Knuckles McGinty. Who's heard of Knuckles McGinty? Guys, that's embarrassing. You need some culture in your lives. I actually can't believe you haven't watched Paddington Bear 2. Knuckles is a key character in Paddington Bear 2. He lives by the motto, I don't do nothing for nobody for nothing. (laughs) In other words, do it yourself. There are no free lunches. Don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself. Get up off your backside and get it done. You make your own luck in life. I've made my own luck, now you go and make yours. The self-made man. There's self-made, and then there's entitled. Entitled lives by the motto, it's not fair. Entitled insists government should provide X, and the employer should provide Y, and Z should be for free. Entitled is long on rights, but short on responsibilities. Entitled reserves all rights, including the right not to be offended by those who disagree with him. Entitled says, surely the world owes me this much. I don't need to tell you, self-made and entitled don't get along. They are separated by a political gap or a cultural gap or a generation gap or a gap in temperament, a gap in personality. Often though, and this is the big irony, they exist in the very same person. Let's call him average. Average is self-made when it comes to everyone else, but entitled when it comes to me. Average thinks everyone else must get on with it. Get up off their backsides and get on with it. But average also thinks that everyone else must cut me some slack. Now what we're really interested in is how that social dynamic plays out in our own hearts, because it does. And right in the depths of our hearts, there's a spiritual version of this dynamic. Self made says people get what they deserve. You reap what you sow. If you don't make it to heaven, well, clearly you don't deserve to be there. And you're going to get what's coming to you. Entitled says life is messy. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes, so don't judge. God is love. He will forgive. He will bless. That's His job. Who's right? I'm sure if you're honest, you'll acknowledge you lean one way or the other. The gospel will be our judge. Paul lays it out for us so clearly in this passage. It can't get any clearer. But before we actually going to understand what God is saying to us here this morning, like last week, we first need to understand what God was saying through the Apostle Paul to the Galatian churches. And to do that, I'm sorry to say, we need another history lesson. So please bear with me for the next few minutes. We need to understand Paul from his own experiences, which he shares in some really personal, intimate detail in those first two chapters of Galatians. So I encourage you to go and read them for yourself. But we'll just pick up a little bit in chapter 1, verse 13. So turn there. This is Paul's biography. One thirteen. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Saul was a rising star amongst the rabbis of Jerusalem. He was ambitious, he was zealous, he was loyal. In fact, he was the hatchet man whose job it was to stamp out the latest cult, this revolutionary group that was causing so much trouble for the Jerusalem establishment. He was the one who could get the job done, and he was getting it done. People were going to prison. Others were being stoned to death. He was driving this plague out of Jerusalem. In fact, he was chasing key leaders as far north as Damascus. I think there's a, a map there for you. You can, you can follow along. So he's he's hunting senior Christian leaders up to this, to Damascus. He's on the Damascus Road when this happens. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase chapter 1, verse 15. So here he is. He's on the Damascus Road. He's full of zeal for persecuting the church. But then... He who set me apart from before I was born called me by his grace and revealed his son to me. The ascended Lord Jesus himself confronted Saul on that Damascus road and everything changed. This encounter with Jesus stopped Saul dead in his tracks. He abandoned his mission. He went out into the desert. He settled in Damascus. It was only three years later that he returned to Jerusalem, but he wasn't the same man. Even his name had changed. He had been turned inside out. This time, instead of suppressing the Christian movement, he actually preached Christ. And, of course, this did not please the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. And so Paul had to flee for his life to his hometown of Tarsus, way up in the north, but he kept preaching the gospel. He fled for his life, but he kept preaching the gospel. In the meantime, a church sprung up in a key Syrian town called Antioch. So there's Antioch, there's Tarsus. Church springs up in Antioch. The spirit was moving. People were coming to Christ, but this church needed leadership. Barnabas, key leader in the church, had heard how Saul's zeal had been harnessed for Jesus and so he went to Tarsus he fetched him, he brought him back to Antioch and the two of them served the church in Antioch together that church did what any church worthy of the name church should do, they decided they cannot keep this good news to themselves and so they sent Paul on a new mission he and Barnabas went all over the Mediterranean, planting churches, including the church churches in Galatia The churches Paul is writing this letter to. After that trip around the Mediterranean, Paul and Barnabas headed back south to Jerusalem because that was still the headquarters of the movement. They gave a report on the mission trip. They shared extraordinary stories of how Gentiles were coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah. And the leaders of the Jerusalem church embraced them. James, Peter, John, they gave Paul their full endorsement as missionary to the Gentiles. Paul went back up to Antioch. Soon after, the apostle Peter followed him for a visit. wanted to see all this for himself. Peter's having a wonderful time in this mixed church. Jews and Gentiles together. He's having a fabulous time until, and now we bump into today's passage, some men from James arrived. Men from headquarters in Jerusalem. Then Peter, who had been eating with Gentile Christians, mixing with them, doing life with them, Peter pulls back. He withdrew because this group from Jerusalem argued that the Gentiles were not full followers of the Messiah. Something was missing. They were still somehow unclean. They weren't fully integrated into the covenant. They weren't full members of the community. So Peter withdrew. Under this pressure, the social pressure, he withdraws. Just only a few months after he had given Paul his full endorsement as apostle to the Gentiles. It's no wonder Paul says he acted in hypocrisy. It's no wonder Paul challenges him publicly and says, you are not walking in step with the gospel. Even Barnabas followed Peter's example. It seems Paul was all alone in this dispute. Then those men from James or their colleagues took the same message to the churches in Galatia. It is not enough that Gentile believers pledge the allegiance of faith to the Messiah. If they want to be right with God and included in his people, they must be circumcised and come under the Mosaic covenant. And so it's in response to all of this that Paul writes his letter to the Galatians. And again, we can see why he's so upset We see now why Barnabas, who was co-founder of those churches, is not co-author of the letter. Did you notice that? Paul is all alone in his defense of the gospel. We get the guts of that defense in today's passage. It's one core message with two parts to it. One core message with two parts. Only faith in Christ can make you right with God. And only faith in Christ can free you to truly live for God. Only faith in Christ can make you right with God. This was last week's message. It's in our passage again. It's that central. What makes you right with God? Pick it up in chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Did you notice that he basically says the same thing three times over? Even we Jewish Christians know that we are not declared right with God by works of the law. We are declared right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how does that work? Well, Christ was right with God, and He's your representative. You are attached to Him, you fall under Him, you seek refuge in the shadow of His wings, you access all the benefits of His status. How? Through faith. In other words, by trusting him and pledging allegiance to him. Having a clean record before God cannot come by works of the law because we don't have a clean record. And the law is an impartial judge. But Christ does have a clean record. Justification, the verdict of innocent, can only come through him. Even Jews like Peter and Paul understood this. And when they were walking in step with the truth of the gospel, they lived by it. But how easy it is to fall out of step with the truth of the gospel. Even the apostle Peter can fall out of step with the truth of the gospel. Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Can fall out of step with the truth of the gospel. That's why Paul has to say it three times. And that's why God has to say it to us this morning. No less than three times. You cannot make yourself right with me. Only Jesus can. You cannot make yourself right with me. Only Jesus can. You cannot make yourself right with me. Only Jesus can. He says it three times, because we don't want to hear it. Our hearts resist this truth with everything we have and everything we are. As Herman Baving said, there is nothing more difficult for man than to be saved by grace and to live on gifts. It far transcends the reason, the power, and the nature of man. Why? Why do we find it so hard? Why do we resist the grace of God in the depths of our being? Why do we fear, even sometimes hate, the grace of God? Let uh, Tom Tom Torrance explain it to us. Justification is so difficult to accept because its absolute freeness devalues the moral and religious currency which we have minted at such great cost out of our own self-understanding, grace is too costly for us. Why is grace so costly? Because when you like to think of yourself as a good person, as much as we do, God's free gift of Jesus Christ says to us, you aren't. When you have built your whole identity around being just a little bit better better than others. So that you are worthy of God's love. So that you can show yourself worthy of God's love. You can prove to Him and others you are worthy of God's love. His His grace says to us, you are not. You are not worthy of my love. But I love you anyway. Grace says you are not good enough and you never can be. And for many of us who are self-made, that is earth-shattering news. That's just too much for us to handle. It means that all of my life I have been working to build and maintain a certain persona, a certain reputation. And it all counts for nothing. It's worth nothing. That is too high a price to pay. Grace is also costly because it means I'm not in control. Justification by works of the law is something I can control. I can build I can see it there. There's the list. There are the, the ten items. I can see them. I can perform. I can build my spiritual CV. I can dedicate so many hours to service. So many rands to the church or to charity. So many Saturday mornings to sharing the gospel in mid But the free gift of God in Jesus Christ says none of that makes you right with me. Being right with God is only ever a gift. And it's his gift to give. Which means you and I have no control. We hate this idea because we love control. The world is a dangerous place. Losing control is something we fear deeply. What if others know that I'm not worthy? What if they find out that I'm not actually worthy? That's terrifying. But grace says to the self made in all of us, you have absolutely no control. You rely 100% on who God is and what He's done and 0% on who you are and what you've done. Zero. Grace is costly. Costs us our entire self-justification project. It's gone. It's a house of cards. It's worthless. And so immediately... An objection rises in our hearts. We get defensive. It's the very same objection Paul had to deal with over and over and over again in his ministry. You're going to find him dealing with this question in just about all of his epistles. We see it dealing we see him dealing with it in verse seventeen. But if in our endeavour to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Paul is asking that if we insist that we are justified by Christ alone, and we are we Jewish Christians then no better than Gentile sinners who don't live by God's law, and are in fact completely ignorant of God's law. Does Christ promote a do-as-you-please attitude when it comes to God? Is Christ rejecting self-made so that he can side with entitled? In other words, it boils down to this. Does it not matter how you live? Jesus, is that what your grace is telling us? It doesn't matter how we live. In Paul's own words, is Christ then a servant of sin? And this question leads us into the second part of Paul's message. Only faith in Christ can free you. This is the only way. Can free you to truly live for God. Do you want to truly live for God? Well, only faith in Christ can free you to truly live for God. Paul is responding to this objection that justification by faith in Jesus means you can just live how you like. It doesn't matter if you sin. Is that the case? His short answer, by no means. That's a bit lame in the English, but it's better to say... Never ever in a million years. Or God forbid. And then he explains. His summary is this. We died with Christ so that we can live to God. Look at verse 19. For through the law I died to the law. Why? Why Paul? So that I might live to God. Live with my whole life oriented towards the Father. Paul is getting really personal here because he tried to live by the law. No one tried harder. But no one can live by the law. As James, the head of the Jerusalem church, wrote in one of his letters, whoever keeps the law, the whole law, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it. Now how can that be? The law, they had 600 and something commandments. You fail, you keep the whole thing. You fail at one point. You're guilty of all of it. That's what James says. How? Well, because the law is a covenant. The law is a covenant. If you fail in one area, you're in breach of covenant. Okay, just imagine, it's a bit like a rental agreement. Your tenant is spray painting graffiti on the walls. You come to evict him. They say, no, but hang on. Let's just get the contract out. Look, we've kept all other 19 provisions. At that point, are you going to care? You're not going to care. You're in breach. Out you go. Because we are sinners by nature, because we are in bondage to our rebellion, in bondage to our self interest, we all fail somewhere. Every single one of us, we are in breach. And so the law can only condemn us. It cannot justify us. If you are trying to go to the law to justify yourself, know that it can only condemn you. It cannot justify you. And the penalty for breach of covenant is death. As God said to Adam, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And so Paul says, through the law I died. But he says even more. He says, through the law I died to the law. Once he had died, the law had no further claim on him. Okay, this makes sense. Just think of of any instance of capital punishment. A murderer on death row is executed. But after he's died, we don't take the corpse and put it in front of a judge again. Okay, for the other misdemeanors. No, the law is finished with him. The law has run its course. He's paid the penalty. The law has no further claim on him. The law has done its worst. In that sense, he has not just died through the law, which he has. He's died through the law, but he's also died to the law. He is dead to the law, and the law is dead to him. So it is with Paul. Through the law, I died to the law. The law has been satisfied. The covenant has been fulfilled. Paul, you're busy writing this letter. What is all this talk of death? How are we supposed to understand it? Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says he's died to the law and through the law. And he explains that by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ. He's talking about spiritual union, the spiritual union that comes with faith. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. When he hung on that cross, you hung on that cross. When he died, you died with him. He hung in your place for your sin. His death is your death. And praise be to God, spiritual union doesn't stop at death. 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. By the Spirit of Christ, Christ is in you. If that's true, you died with Christ. But when Christ rose, you also rose. That's the new life in you. That's the resurrection life. And now you can live out that resurrection life. Truly live it out to God. Because Christ is in you. The Son's eternal relationship with the Father is now yours. In the Spirit. You relate to the Father the way Jesus relates to the Father. Can you imagine? And that, that relationship is a gift from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. The life you live here on earth, we're talking about the Monday morning grind. The actual life you live here on earth, you live to God. Because that life is the life of the Son who always lives life to the Father. In fact, that's what life is. Anything else is death. So is Christ a servant of sin? Does justification by faith in Jesus mean that you just live however you want? You just ignore God and live for yourself. Never ever, never in a million years, God forbid, because justification by faith is justification by faith in Jesus. And that means you will live the life He has given you freely To the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Your whole life will be oriented towards God. Chasing after God, desiring more of God, pursuing because you you want more of God, not to be right with Him, but because you already are. There's no other way to be in Christ. let's get back to the Monday morning grind that is the truth everything we've laid out is the truth in Christ how are you going to experience it how are you going to live it out tomorrow morning with all the challenges of ordinary everyday mundane life what's going to motivate you to live out this free gift of life what motivated Paul verse 20 the life I now live in the flesh, that's the Monday grind, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, God's love for you in giving you the gift of himself, that's what's going to move you to give yourself back in love. He has given you everything. There's nothing left to give. He's given you his very self. What a meager response. But it's all that we have. To give ourselves entirely back to him. We can do it with joy and thanksgiving because he has given himself for us in love. So rather than promoting sin, grace is the very thing that is going to free us to finally live for Him. And I hope you see that this life in the Spirit is a million miles away from keeping the law because we're trying to protect the illusion that we're worthy. I hope you can see that. Nod your head if you can, somebody, please, because this is the heart of it. This is a million miles away From keeping the law because we're terrified of losing control. This is life and life to the full. The abundant life lived to the Father. Through the Son in the Spirit. That is not dead letter law keeping. Self justification project. It's another planet. This is a perfectly free response of love as a child to a father in response to the overwhelming love of the father to the child. That's Paul's gospel. In Christ you are accepted by God. And because you are accepted, you are now free to live to God. Now did you notice justification by faith in Jesus is both an objective legal declaration and a subjective personal love relationship. It's both the legal stuff and the relational stuff. It's both. And because it's both, it speaks into the lives and the hearts of both self-made and entitled. Self-made, of course, loves the legal stuff. Self-made loves the idea of God as a remote judge beating his gavel, condemning those who don't live according to the law and especially the part of the law that I like, right? Entitled, on the other hand, loves the idea of unconditional love. Entitled loves the idea of God as an affirming grandpa who just wants everybody to have a good time and so he looks the other way. Falls asleep in the corner. Average, of course, wants the best of both. Unconditional love for me, justice for everybody else. The gospel exposes all of these options and presents us with something completely different, not some compromise between all three, no, something completely different. The gospel reveals God as both our Father who loves us deeply, He cannot more than love us more than He does, and also. God is also, he's our father, he's also the Chief Justice of the Constitutional Court. He's both. The Judge of the Universe is also your dad. Now, of course, he will not compromise or relax his standards of justice for a single minute, and we don't want him to. Who wants a corrupt Constitutional Court Justice presiding over them? He cannot compromise. Because that would be to compromise his own character. He cannot be anything less than he is. But he will also, he also cannot love you any more than he does. And he will never love you any less than he does. It's both. Immediately, we feel the tension between those two. Because God might be my dad, but I'm on the wrong side of justice. And so how does he uphold justice and protect me, his child, as any father would and should? How does he do both at the same time? I hope your hearts and minds are running immediately to the cross of Christ. Because where else can we go? His perfect justice, his perfect love come together and hold together only in the person of Jesus on that cross. Our law-breaking, the legal stuff, is made right by His obedience. Our weak and partial and fickle devotion to our Father, the love stuff, is made healthy and whole by His perfect love for His Father. And so the grace of God in Jesus Christ says to self-made, you can never ever make yourself right with me. But I love you anyway. So put your trust in Jesus. Your self-justification project, whatever it looks like, is going to fail. But I will justify you freely by my grace. So put your faith in Jesus. The grace of God in Jesus Christ says to entitled God does love you. In fact, He loves you more than you can ever imagine. He loves you enough to care about how you live. Because my law is there to protect you and to give you the good life and to help you flourish. I care so much about how you live that my son died to fulfill the standards that I've laid down for you. He died to fulfill the law. He died living the life you were supposed to live. He died precisely so that you can now live that life yourself in the power of his spirit. Not in perfection, but in progress. He died so that you can live life to the Father, through the Son, in the spirit. Not in perfection, but in progress. Of course it matters how we live. Of course, it matters. It matters more than ever. So put your faith in Jesus. I hope what you, I really hope, it's my prayer, my sincere prayer for you, that you are hearing what grace is saying to you this morning. Are you hearing what grace is saying to you? Being right with God is something you can never, ever achieve. Ever, And now that Jesus has achieved it, it matters how you live. We are in this beautiful covenant of love with the Father. It is written in the blood of the Son. We have the Spirit living in us and amongst us. It's all a gift of God. The cross isn't communicating that it doesn't matter how we live. It's communicating the opposite. Look at that cross. That's how much it matters, how you live. At the same time, the cross is giving us the resources we need to live that life to God. We draw from the bottomless well of God's love for us in Christ. So put your faith in Him. We close with the fact that our hearts are hard. They remain hard. They're prone to hardening over the course of the week. And so even now we may be resisting this message. What is going to soften those hearts? It might be that being reminded of who's writing this will help. This is the rabbi Saul. That great religious zealot that persecutor of the church, the original self-made man. This is what grace did to his heart. Listen to these words one more time. Drink them in for yourself. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If God's free love did that in Saul's heart, it can do the same in your heart. So put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we we resist your grace. We love our self-righteousness. We love our self-justification project. We love the idea of being worthy because we're just a little bit better than others. We are terrified of losing control. Help us to see how desperately we need your grace. Help us to see that there is no other way Especially those of us who have been Christians for years, Lord. And yet all this time, we're clinging to control. All this time, we we keep a self-justification project on the side. Runs in parallel with what we know about your grace. Father, help us to accept the justification that can only come through faith in Christ. Because he's the only one who's right with you. Father, help us by your Spirit to know that we died in Christ, but we also rose with him. And the life we now live, we live to you in Christ. We ask that the grace that has saved us, that same grace, will move us to live for you. Give us hearts to trust and follow the one who has loved us and given himself for us. With deepest thanksgiving we pray. Amen.